0: Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. Many curlers started when they were kids. How did they discover the sport, and why did they stick with it? This is a series where we talk to current and former competitive curlers to answer those questions. In today's episode, we speak to Monica Walker. Monica Walker is a three-time U.S. national champion, who is currently the third on Team Jamie Sinclair. This fall, Monica will be competing in two important competitions. She'll be playing in the U.S. Olympic Team Trials in November with Team Sinclair, and the Mixed Doubles Trials in October with her partner, Alex Leichter. In this interview, recorded in the summer of 2021, we talk about her introduction to the sport as a young person, and her exposure to a competitive junior development program at her home club. We answer the questions, what did she enjoy about the sport? And what can we do to keep more kids interested in curling? Finally, we talk about the status of her current team and her involvement in the Global Initiative for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in Curling. Monica, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I think I'm going to start right at the beginning. So for my first question, Monica, uh, where are you from and what was it like growing up there?
1: Um, So I'm from the Boston area originally. Um, I actually still live there now. Um, I did live in Connecticut for a brief period of time, about five years. And that's actually where I was introduced to curling um, at the Nutmeg Curling Club in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I'm definitely uh, what you would call a rink rat. um, And not talking about the broom, actually, at the rink (laughs) as a kid um, watching my parents play curling. Um, so that's kind of where I was first exposed to the sport. And then my family later moved back from Connecticut, uh, to the Boston area. And that's when I started curling. I was about 10, uh, at the Broomstones Curling Club, which is just outside Boston.
0: Your parents curled? Uh, Yeah. How did they get into the sport?
1: Yeah. So my parents are, um, from Scotland originally. Um, you know, curling is a Scottish sport, and they were exposed to the sport um, in the co- when they were in college. And my dad actually um, competed a bit uh, at the competitive level. He always talks about how he played against um, Eve Muirhead's grandfather and father. Um, so he started a little bit later in life, but uh, both my parents curled in Scotland, and then they moved over to the States um, for my dad's job and uh so my sister my I have two younger sisters um and we were all born here in the US um so my parents uh obviously thought that curling would be a great thing to continue once in the US um a good chance to kind of meet some people and do something something fun um so they started curling for fun and we kind of grew up in and around curling clubs as a result
0: right and and of course you've mentioned broomstones could you tell me a bit more about Broomstones? Uh, what are your early memories of it? And for those who might not be aware, like where is it? And and what's it how many sheets? Can you can you give a yeah. bit of a description?
1: Yeah, um Broomstones is a four-sheet curling club. It's located in Wayland, Massachusetts, which uh, is just outside Boston. Um and yeah, I have to say my earliest memory in life is probably the plaid carpet at Broomstones, um, <laughs> just the stairs walking up to the warm room and a bit of the um, wooden dance floor that they used to have for Bonspiels and stuff. Um, obviously it was a little lower to the ground at that point. So I definitely kind of remember the vibe of, of the club at that time. And it to this date, it remains very much the same. Um, definitely a very Scottish feeling. Um and very kind of like club-esque, I guess.
0: You said you started curling at 10. How, how did, what, what made you start at that age?
1: Yeah. Um, so I definitely w- spent a lot of time watching my parents when I was quite young. Um, but something I actually appreciate about my parents a lot is that they never forced my sisters and I to curl. Um, they kind of waited for us to approach them about it. So after spending so many weekends at curling clubs, kind of watching them, eventually my young self um, was like, Hey, this looks like fun. Um, I might actually want to try this myself. Um, And so when my family moved from Connecticut back to the Boston area and joined the Broomstones Curling Club. um, I was about 10 years old and I, it seemed like, you know, the right time for me to actually give this a shot. Um, And so that's when I finally approached my parents and asked if, if I could try curling. And luckily for me, uh, the Broomstones curling club had a pretty great, uh, well-established junior program. Um, there are a lot of, uh, parents who were working with their kids at the time. Um, some well-known names in the U S curling community, such as, uh, Keith and Shelly Dropkin, um, parents of, uh, Corey Dropkin, um, And Alex Leichter, my my mixed doubles teammate, his parents were part of the program. And also um, Grayland and Karen Cousins, uh, who are the parents of my current teammate, Elizabeth Cousins. So some really big names, um, really great curlers passing down the knowledge of the sport to their kids at the time.
0: Do you remember when you were learning the sport at first? Uh, I mean, obviously you were exposed to sport through your parents and you hang, I'm assuming you hung around the club a bit. Like that seems to be a story from a lot of, uh, (laughs) of curlers who had parents curling that they'd bring them to the club and sort of they'd hang around there. But do you remember like who taught you Uh, and uh, who did you learn from when you were starting out?
1: Yeah. um, You know, it's funny. I, I very vividly remember my first time out on the ice and it was uh, Corey Drucken's dad, Keith, who brought me out Um, and he just had me on a sheet by myself kind of showing me the basics and he taught me how to slide. Um, and I remember what he said to me was your slide is a perfect mix between your mom's and your dad's curling slide. And that has always stuck with me. Um, well, because it made me feel like, Oh, you know, if my parents can do this, then I can do this. And something I love about curling is that uh, really anybody can do it, anyone of any age or any ability. And I love seeing um, how curling slides can differ based on body types. And often you'll see curling slides kind of look similar throughout generations of curlers, just because, you know, body types are similar within families as well. So that's just something I, I really love about the sport.
0: You know, that's a theory that I've never heard before, but I think you, you're you the first person to articulate it to me. So, uh, yeah. no, thanks, Monica. Yeah, that is something that, uh, you know, I, I, it's kind of like, you know, if if you're a baseball player and you have a son or a daughter that's a baseball player and they kind of swing like you, you know?
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: It, yeah, no, but uh, that's great. Uh, I think that's something, of, I mean, to consider. I, I'm just thinking about those early years of you curling there. Was, was it, how was it structured? Was it like uh, a league? Like you play, play at a game every week with these other juniors or was there instruction? I'm always curious about that.
1: Yeah. Um, from what I can remember, um, we had about two hours on Sunday afternoons. Um, and I remember the first hour was mostly spent um, with kids your age throwing rocks and, just kind of working on some basic technique things, um, whether it be just sliding balanced or sliding between cones or trying to hit cones, um, just some basic technical um, practicing. And then the next hour we would move into um, a scrimmage kind of game. Uh, Nothing structured, really like throw together teams, um, who wants to skip kind of thing and uh, just playing whoever happened to be there that week. Um, and you probably get like two or three ends in before the two hours were were
0: up. <laughs> right. Um,
1: but it was a good chance to actually put into practice some of the, the skills that you learned earlier in the session.
0: Yeah. Did you gravitate to any particular position? I'm just curious.
1: Hmm. You know, early on, I really don't recall. Um, I think naturally the way that the sport is structured, when you just start out, you're kind of um, – positioned as lead, uh, because <laughs> right. there's like as little, you can't do as much damage as
0: if you were playing <laughs> further
1: on in the lineup lineup. But, um, no, I, I don't really remember playing anything in particular, probably rotating around a bunch. Um, once I moved into like junior competitive curling, um, definitely gravitated towards like, I played third f- at first, uh, my first, um, play down team. And then I actually ended up skipping quite early as well, because there really was nobody else that right. could do it. So, yeah.
0: I'd like to touch upon the junior part, uh, the competitive part, but I, I wanted to ask you, just just keeping with your early years there, were there other sports you were doing as a kid? Like what Did you play any other sports or any activities maybe that you did outside yeah. of uh, school?
1: Yeah, I was a very um, athletic kid. I consider myself still very athletic today. Um, sports play a big part of my life. Um, I like, like curling, I actually expressed interest to my mom in, in playing soccer at a young age. She never kind of pushed that on me, but I, I wanted to play soccer and I started playing soccer around the same time and I played soccer all the way through high school. And I actually still play today, um, just on, you know, fun leagues and stuff. Um, and i you know, I also played basketball for a couple years. I started that quite late. I was never very good at that. I'm pretty short. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I ran track um, a couple springs as well. I ran uh, the 100, the 200 and the 400 was my big race. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I, yeah. Not, a, not very fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I also played softball too. So a lot of like a good mix of like individual sports and also like team based sports. Yeah.
0: I mean, obviously you decided to to choose curling and you went the junior competitive route. What made you decide to make that decision? What made you decide to take it? I hate to say more seriously, but eventually kids have to make choices and and you did. So mm-hmm. yeah. What, what made you decide to go that route?
1: I think the first um, factor was just, uh, I was made aware of the fact that that route even existed. So like I said before, there were quite a few parents who had put together a really structured and well thought out program at at Broomstones. Um, The junior program itself was great, but then there was also kind of this extra layer called the JET program that um, Karen and Grayland Cousins pioneered uh, along with a few other folks. And that was really a, a youth Olympic development program that had that put that Olympic bug in our ears at a very early age. Um, Wow. Just kind of making us aware of the fact that this is on the table for you in the sport. And um, it also, the program provided a lot of resources to us that were kind of above and beyond uh, thinking about fitness, um, providing like the best equipment, um, putting together kind of a schedule where we would play some events up in Canada and uh, get out of the new England area. Um, just all kind of the things that as a young kid you wouldn't even really think of or be able to put together yourself so it was great to have that that program really kind of put the um, bug in my ear to so so to speak and yeah I think choosing curling in particular uh, was really a no-brainer for me like the reason I got into curling was you know my parents did it. it was something that made me connected to my Scottish heritage and um, made me feel like I was part of our family culture. It was something I always felt I was supposed to do and um, taking it to the next level competitively, just again, felt like a no brainer. Um, and as I'm sure you're aware of, uh, there's not a, quite as many people curling as playing soccer, for example. So my chances were quite a bit better, I think in curling. So that definitely helped too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> soccer
0: yeah. so- soccer's a little more, uh, there's a little more participation in that sport. Yes. <laughs> you can't put an ice rink everywhere. So, you know, there's a bit of a limitation. Exactly. Um, could you elaborate a little more about the jet program? is jet an acronym for something. It's just an unusual name.
1: Yeah. I think it stands for junior elite program Oh, or okay. tra- uh, junior elite training. I'm not sure. <laughs> I should know that. Um, that works. <laughs> yeah. And it really is kind of the brainchild of, of Grayland cousins, who is uh, my teammate, Elizabeth's dad. And um, just kind of putting together this structured program that could help people make it to the Olympics. Cause nothing really existed in the U S at that time. Um, you know, now today in the U S we have the high performance program. They're part of the national team. Um, but at the time there really wasn't a whole lot in terms of like really getting kids at a young age and kind of I don't want to say grooming them, but giving them the resources to kind of make it to that next level. Um, yeah. And we, I'm trying to remember like all the things we did. I, I remember, um, talking with, uh, another guy at the curling club about fitness and like running three miles and what kind of time I might, might get. And at this point I was in my early teens. So like 14 probably. So I was a bit older. Um, but just, you know, kind of the whole package. We worked with uh, Shelly Dropkin. She did a bit of sports psychology with us. We did some personality testing,
0: oh wow! Myers,
1: Myers-Briggs, um, and kind of <laughs> talked about how that might impact team dynamics with the team that I was on. So it was really quite advanced looking back on it um, compared, you know, for the time and like very similar to a lot of the things that I'm currently working on with my uh, national team.
0: Uh, out of curiosity, what's your Myers-Briggs type?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, INTJ.
0: So. Oh well, then you're a fellow INTJ, then.
1: <laughs> oh, you are too. Okay.
0: Yeah, I did those tests when I was in a youth leadership program back in the mid '90s. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sort of giving up my age here, but yeah, the, it, it's, it's interesting when you're first introduced to those things, especially introduced to those tests, especially as a kid. But yeah, uh, yeah it's sort of gives you an idea of what you well what your personality is like for it's a rough tool but it is what it is
1: well yeah and it's funny because i've taken that test many times since that first test and it's always the same it never (laughs) changes so must be right i guess
0: (laughs) well uh yeah people there's some uh there's some debate about the usefulness of those sort of tests but you know it uh if it makes people think about their personalities it's 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 a tool it's like anything exactly
1: else. exactly
0: when you were starting to take this sport more seriously or even before then uh, there must have been or I'm I guess that's an assumption but did you look up to any older curlers or f- quote unquote famous curlers did you want to be like anybody when you were growing in the sport
1: um yeah i think a lot of the coaches that i had and i've mentioned them Uh, a bit on this call already. Um, The cousins uh, were people like Karen cousins in particular was my junior team coach. And um, I really admired like her way of interacting with people and um, what she did for our team in terms of team dynamics and managing relationships. I just have learned so much about life from her. Um, And so I just really appreciate her. And I always kind of wanted to be like, the type of person that she is. Um, she was a huge role model for me. Um, in terms of, um, maybe competitive curlers, honestly, I wasn't exposed to a whole lot of, um, people playing at the top level because at the time when I was starting, there wasn't a whole lot of curling on TV, just kind of getting started. Um, my first real exposure to the top level of curling was, um, in the Olympics. You know, the U S doesn't have a whole lot of curling on TV and the Olympics was really the start of that. So I remember, um, in 2006 watching, uh, it was Cassie and Jamie Johnson and Jessica Schultz, who's now in charge of our, um, women's program in the U S, uh, watching this team play in Torino at the 2006 Olympics. Um, and they were not that much older than me. Like this was when I was in college and the games were at 3 AM, <laughs> but I, uh, because of the time difference, but I remember getting up and watching all of them and being so excited and especially because they really weren't that much older than me. And just realizing that like, Hey, if they can do this, like this is something that I can do too. Um, So I was super into watching that team and watching the Olympics in general.
0: Now you mentioned that you didn't like curling wasn't really on television too much in the U S at least at that point. Uh, So maybe there wasn't an exposure to like quote unquote famous curlers. Were there any just generally famous athletes that you looked up to?
1: Yeah. Um, Chris. So I was really into soccer as a kid as well. And um, Christine Lilly is a female soccer player, he played on the um, women's, U.S. women's soccer team. Um, and she was actually from my hometown in Connecticut uh, when I was living in Connecticut. And so when she went to the Olympics, I don't remember which Olympics it was, but they won the gold. It might have been, yeah, it was the Olympics because she, I remember she did a kind of a meet and greet at our, in our town and she had her gold medal with her. And so we waited in line to meet her (laughs) and I got to like touch and hold her gold medal. And I thought that was so cool and like got her autograph and yeah, definitely um, that was kind of the start of my love for like watching, following along the U.S. with the U.S. um, women's national soccer team.
0: What was most fun about curling when you were a kid? What do you remember that was the most fun part of it?
1: It's a good question. I have to be honest with you. I when I first started, I kind of hated curling. Um and so I was 10 years old when I started and that's a tough age for kids, especially women, um you when you're playing a sport with that's so integrated with gender. So like boys and girls play together. Um, and it's very individual too. So like when you're throwing a rock, all eyes are on you and the curling slide is a very kind of awkward position when you're a teenager. Um, like your butts in the air kind of, and I just remember being really self-conscious, um, at the time and just very self-conscious about all eyes kind of being on me. So I did not love it at first. Um, but what I did love and what kept me coming back every week was um, after the two hours of, of training was up, we'd go inside into the warm room and all sit around um, one of the tables and have a bunch of snacks. And we'd all kind of joke around and talk and spend time together. And it's actually quite similar to what like, the setup is after league games today. Like As an adult, everyone kind of sits around and has a drink. Um, obviously we weren't having a drink, but just the same concept of, you know, sitting around and spending time with the people that you curled with. And I loved that. Um, it was great to interact with kids that were either older or younger than me, um, from different towns, like great exposure to just a more diverse group of kids that were all into kind of into the same thing that I was curling. So I really loved that part of the sport.
0: Monica, how many kids were in the program in any given year at Broomstones?
1: Yeah, I want to say there were um, between 20 and 50 players, but I, I'm honestly not sure on the numbers, but I do remember um, every sheet being filled, and we had four sheets. So there were quite a few um, at the height of the program.
0: Yeah, it was just a follow-up to, uh, you know, you're you're talking about sitting around a table with people you might not have known. Do you just off the top of your head, do you remember some of those kids, some of those stories? Maybe some of them who Definitely. are still here, around curling.
1: Yes, um, I'm actually quite pretty good friends with um, quite a few people from from that time in my life. Um, and and what's great is that you know if I've lost touch with some of them, oftentimes with like the use of social media, they can come back into my life later, or we can kind of reconnect. Um, yeah, I had a really good friend, Gavin, uh, who um, taught me so much about like writing good papers at at school because he was so good at writing. And I actually remember visiting him when he went to college out in Worcester. And, um, now today he lives in a suburb of Boston with his wife and his kid. And I just recently saw him again and had been years since I I'd seen him. So, um, yeah, you just make like the kind of relationships that last for a lifetime. A bunch of the kids that I played with are still curling at Broomstones in adult leagues now. So it's pretty cool.
0: Wow. No, that's, that's amazing. I, I know sometimes as coaches we focus on the competitive side, but it's just as important to develop kids who join, become regular club members and curl recreationally and socially. So I I'm happy to hear that. I think uh, we've uh, touched upon a lot of your, uh, experience as a young person in the sport. And, and thank you for uh, sharing that with me. I'm, go- I'm about to ask you a really big question, at least uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's a big question, but uh, it sort of summarizes everything we've talked about so far. So uh, are you ready?
1: I'm ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So how do we get kids to fall in love with the sport of curling and get them to stay with it for the long term?
1: Yeah, that is a big question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I warned you. So there you go. I
1: think the answer is community. Um, and what I mean by that is I think it's about creating a space where kids feel like they can authentically show up and be themselves and learn and grow and make mistakes and be, become better people. Um, they have to be able to get more out of curling than just learning about how to curl and be a curler Um, they have to learn life lessons make good relationships um, learn what they're not good at and become better people as a result Um, and I think uh, just creating a a program where um, all those things can kind of happen obviously there would be like the serious parts where you're learning about the technical aspects of the sport but then the fun side too where kids get to interact and socialize and, um, travel and go to events and play in bond spiels. And then there has to be like, like you said, a pipeline where, um, kids can move up and, in, and, grow and improve, um, somewhere to go. And I think that visionary piece of like having the Olympics as an eventual possibility, the hope of it, um, is kind of like the shining beacon that we would all kind of be moving towards. Um, so creating that community or that culture that allows for for all these things, I think, um, is what will kind of bring people in and and keep people around even you know once they're through the junior program. I think something that a lot of clubs need to work on. You know, obviously we're all working on making our junior programs better. That's a work in progress. But actually, a really key part is that link between the junior program and the adult leagues. Um, college curling is a great kind of linking piece to that, uh, pipeline that allows people to have a place to go after they're done with the junior age curling and be somewhere where they're with their peers, but not quite into the adult leagues yet, but then they have a place to fall into the adult leagues afterwards. So I think just having that continuous, um, pipeline where we don't lose curlers, um, we keep people around and we keep them for life, um, I think that part, that's what's great about curling. Like anyone can curl at any age and we want to take advantage of that, I think.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a lifelong sport. So, Monica, yeah, thank you for answering the big question, as I think I'm calling it, at least on my sheet here. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, I will follow up with one thing, and, and I know this is bringing you back a little bit. But do you remember the first time you traveled for a bond spiel?
1: Hmm. I don't know if I remember the exact first time, but I have a lot of memories of um, going to spiels in different places. Um, I remember going up to Nashua, New Hampshire, not that far away, but also upstate New York has a lot of curling clubs like Utica, um, Schenectady, all those kind of places. And um, I just remember I learned so much at those events. Um, We used to have a, a system where you would be housed by another kind of family and, and their, their local, um, junior curler, Um, that system doesn't exist anymore, but, um, just the, the act of going to different places to curl and being exposed to different curling clubs and different curlers, that was really valuable. Um, I had a lot of, a lot of great memories from those events.
0: Was there one particular place you remember for any reason, whether it was a surprise to you, or it was really friendly, or 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 not?
1: <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I loved anywhere. I, there was nowhere I didn't like uh, traveling to. Um, I re- I remember the Cape Cod Curling Club had a camp in the summer, and uh, we used to stay at kind of a um, army type. Barracks um, housing situation, and so there was like dorms and a cafeteria with food, and and we'd be bussed back and forth between the curling club and this um, housing. And oh, those four days were just so fun. Like even though it was the summer, and I could be at the you know minutes away from the beach, <laughs> right. I Was out curling, um, and I just remember loving that camp. It was so fun.
0: I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about uh, what you're doing right now. Uh, you're currently in Minnesota training with your team. Could you could you tell us a little about the, how that came to be and what you're doing right now?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I guess looking back, I've been competing at the women's level for over ten years at this point. Um, definitely have restructured a lot of things in my life to make it po- make this possible including, um, a couple moves out to Minnesota at this point. Um, like I said, I'm from the Boston area and I've lived in Minnesota for, I lived in Minnesota for about three years previously. And then I actually stepped away from the sport for about a year and then, um, came back right kind of as COVID was developing in 2020, uh, perfect timing to not have a curling season, but, um, I'm very glad to be, back part of the, the national team and be on the team that I'm, I'm currently on. Um, and yes, because of COVID um, and the lack of competitions that happened last season, my team, we're kind of all over the place in the US. Uh, my teammates are from Fairbanks, Alaska, Nashua, Nashua New Hampshire, and then um, Jamie Sinclair actually lives in Ottawa right now. Um, so we're from all over the place. And we felt that in order to kind of Give our team the best shot it could have that making the Olympics we had to kind of relocate and Minnesota um, in the summer is really the only place in the U.S. that has ice and so this was the obvious choice this is where the National Training Center is located and also where the training house is which is our gym facility so yeah we're out here this summer through the Olympic trials Um, we're living together in a house just south of Minneapolis And we get up at 5 a.m. and we go to the gym every morning. And then in the afternoons, we throw rocks. And pretty soon our season will be starting. Hopefully we'll be traveling on weekends again and hopefully getting up to Canada and competing in some events. So it's great. I I love this lifestyle. It's very busy. I also have a a full-time job, but um, I just love the process of being a better curler. And it's definitely a daily process. And Um, I feel thankful to have the opportunity to be able to do that.
0: Uh, When are the Olympic trials?
1: The Olympic trials uh, for mixed doubles should be in October and women's are in November.
0: Okay. Well, Monica, good luck.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Uh,
0: The other thing I wanted to ask you about is your involvement in the uh, global initiative for DEI and curling and DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Could you tell us about that organization, how you got involved and, and what is the goal and mission of that uh, organization?
1: Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a long story. Uh, last summer I was working for Goldline as their social media manager and I, uh, we did an Instagram live series um around the time when George Floyd was murdered, actually in Minneapolis. Um, and obviously there was a huge outpouring of um, just awareness and you know recognition and education and just space for the issues of structural racism in the U.S. And um, so I was part of this Instagram live series with Goldline and I, I learned so much um, from the people that were involved with that. And it spurred me to want to kind of make my impact or make a change in this area. Um, And obviously curling is such a huge part of my life that I felt that that was kind of the community that I wanted to, you know, work on, uh, work on this stuff with. Um, So I was actually put in touch with a woman from Sweden, Sarah Carlson, who's a a former competitive curler from Sweden. Um, And she and I came together and we started this initiative. We, we just didn't see anybody else really stepping up to, Um, do anything with regards to diversity, equity, inclusion in curling. And we started talking to the WCF and so we put this initiative together. Um, The goal of it is really to provide education for people, you know, education that's tailored to the curling world. Um, So what we do is we put we put on two to three webinars a month. Um, They're Zoom webinars. They're open to anybody. Um, We put out a newsletter monthly that kind of explains what the webinars are. And we just have people that are researching DEI in sports. Um, They've reached out to us. They want to share their their knowledge and their expertise. And so we provide that to curlers as a way to just get education on this stuff, um, raise awareness about it, and also to spark dialogue about DEI in our sport. And I think a lot of people have the perception that like curling is a very welcoming sport. Um, Like I said before, anyone of any age, any ability can play and that's, what's great about it. But there's also a lot of room for improvement here. Um, Just thinking about my recent U S nationals, there were no people of color playing in that, that I can, you know, maybe one and that's a problem. And that's something that, you know, I notice and I hope other people notice and, I just wanna talk about it and see if there's things where we can do better, if we can be more intentional about outreach and curling clubs and just get a different group of people in there. And um I think that only helps everybody.
0: Yeah, no, thank you, Monica. I, I know this is uh an important initiative for you and and it, it is for me as well, just the idea of more diversity in our sport as someone who I who identifies I'm I'm Asian Canadian. So you know, I can speak definitely from the coaching perspective. You know, I've been to a lot of coaching conferences where I'm, I think I'm the only person of color there. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic when when you are the only person in that group. Uh, uh but yeah, I think there's room for improvement uh, as you said. So I, I appreciate the work that you and Sarah and everyone else is doing, uh, on, on a lot of different fronts, but, uh, before I let you go, I, Could you, if people wanted to get in touch with you, whether it's for uh, the global initiative for DEI or maybe even just to follow your team and how they're doing, uh, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, um, I think the best way is probably social media. Um, So the global initiative for DEI and curling, we're on all social media platforms. A good place to start is our YouTube. If you just search global initiative for DEI and curling, it should come up. And we have a whole kind of archive of, Uh, webinars that we put on, that is a great place to start. Um, You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Similarly, um, Team Sinclair is on those channels as well. Um, Team Jay Sinclair is the handle. Uh, We're currently working on a YouTube series that's kind of an inside scoop on our lives right now, our training schedules, and just what we have going on. So definitely check that out. Um, and then for me personally, you can also reach out to me on social media. My handle is Monwalk Curl, So that's pretty easy to remember. Um, please reach out if you have, you know, any questions or comments, or if you want to just talk about anything, I'm totally open.
0: Oh, that's great, Monica. I'll make sure that that information's in our show notes. But uh, again, thank you for joining me this afternoon. And uh, again, good luck.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: So that was my interview with Monica. If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling.com at gmail.com to follow the podcast for free visit our website coachingkidscurling.com you can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes the intro and outro music is golden sunrise by josh woodward thanks for listening good luck and good curling